Today is about Christian science. It's neither Christian nor science. So we are going to talk about that. This is a class on 12 Christian cults. And a cult is a group of people who, who say they're Christian. They say they follow the Bible, but they're actually holding to some very heretical theology. Heretical being, if you believe it, you're not saved. You're actually on the road to hell. And we don't say that to make fun of people. We don't say that to be hard on people. We say that because they say that they don't believe in the same Christ and the same gospel as we do, as what we see in scripture. And I'll prove that to you each week from their own writings. This isn't, they said this, and I heard this, and somebody else said about them. This is from their own writings that I'm making this case each week. And this is something that has been held in Christianity for a long time, that these are cults. It's only very recent that people are scared to say that somebody else is wrong, that some other group might be wrong, that some other group might be unbiblical. So let me ask the Lord's blessing on our class this morning. Lord, we thank you for this class, this Sunday morning class to equip us to think rightly about you, to think rightly about your word, to worship Jesus with our minds. Help us to evangelize and tell others about this gospel of reconciliation, this gospel of restoration that we have, and to be truthful, to care about the truth. So we pray that you would help us as we talk with others, especially those who believe in these very wrong ways of thinking, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian science. It's not Christian. Why? Because they don't believe in the same Christ. They don't believe in the, the Bible. And I'll show you that. It's not science. They, they say it's science. They say it's a, a way to be healed. But it's not according to the scientific method. It pretty much is against all modern medicine and modern ways of, of healing that we know of. And it's just a cult. It's a, it's a way to, for one woman to make a lot of money. And I'll show you that. And once she passed, the money, I guess, goes to the organization now. So here's their logo. If you go to their website, this is their logo. It's, it's the cross and the crown. And you can see the words around it. The words around this logo tell you what Christian science believes. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. So you already get the sense this is a type of Christian healing or faith healing group. And it, and it really is. It's about how to overcome your illnesses, your sicknesses, your suffering. And uh, it's not the typical way that faith healers today talk, which I'll show you. But this is the point of their organization. Now, sometimes we go through these and you think, well, that's around the world somewhere else. And I've made the case back in a year ago when we did a class on Hinduism and, and Islam. These, these are local to our area. And so is Christian science. This is their map. If you go to their website and look at their map, they have different selections. They have a, a church in the area, what they call a church. Then they have what's called reading rooms. And then they have certified practitioners, I think they call them. And these are the purple dots. So in Bernie, there's one just south of Fair Oaks there. And then their main church building is there. You can see number, it has a tube beside it because there's a reading room as well there. And so that's down across, I think, from Medical Center area, south of Shivano Park there. Or Shavano. Who calls it Shavano? I call it Shivano. I, I pronounce things the way I want. Okay, Carl? It's like uh, there, there's another one around here that we sometimes talk about. Hebner. Hebner, Hebner. Okay, moving on. So here's a, 
Here's the church. It's the third church of Christ. So they call themselves the church of Christ because in their mind they have restored what the church should have been. And then they put a comma behind it and say scientists. So it's, it's the church of Christ, scientists. It's the, the scientific way of doing the church, they say. So there's the outside of the building. That's closest to us. Most major cities have one of these. Smaller towns will have a reading room sometimes. They are sometimes called the cult of women in America because it was started by a woman. The, the church was the whole organization, and it continues being led by women. Most of the, the congregants that you see in pictures are women as well. It's rare to find a man leading anywhere in these organizations. In the back, there are some quotes on the wall from their prophet, Mary, Mary Baker Eddy which we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about this morning. Here's their mother church. This literally is called the mother church. The church, the first church of Christ, I think it is. We'll see the title in a moment. Boston, Massachusetts. And it is this big cathedral thing. And it was built by the founder. And a huge multi, I think it's 20 plus acres that they own near downtown Boston there. It's got this huge lake there, reflective pool This inside of the building can hold thousands of people, which they gather once a year for their big gathering at the Mother Church. There's a different angle from a drone there. Oh, it it almost looks like a Catholic cathedral, doesn't it? They also have the huge library. So to the, in the left picture here, to the right is the library, the Mary Baker Eddy, Eddy Library, which was founded not long after the building there. And then it's just been expanded on back towards the water they're going at the bottom of the picture so on the right picture is the front of the library and originally it was a smaller building that they tore down and and built larger and so that houses all of her memorabilia as well as many books so their belief system is one of just sort of reading and reflecting on things and they they entice people to come and just just read and learn about them. They're not real, what we call evangelistic. They're not going to go door to door like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're more about sort of bringing you in because it sounds very Christian. And then appealing to your senses through the, through the mind. And she had a lot to say about the mind. So the reading rooms, often if there's not a Church of Christ scientist, there's a reading room. And the reading room is where you, it looks like a library, often just like public libraries. And you, know, you can see why you might want to go in there and just sit down and read. It looks very comfortable. We like books. You know, take your kids in. Just a reading room. And it has all of their material. And it's a place of reflection. This is the only picture I could find in the local Christian science building with a man in the picture. And here he is. He's got his Bible open, but you see the, the paper that's on the stand in front of him. That's probably, I can't tell exactly, but usually what they have is copies of Mary Baker Eddy's books or, or articles to help them in their interpretation of Scripture. And so they'll read and then look at what she said about such things. Christian Monitor is their big publication. This thing's won, I think, seven Pulitzer Prizes. They see it as not just a Christian publication, magazine. It started as a newspaper, then became a magazine. And now it's one of the top websites for Christian articles. I've searched things in just not Christian science, but anything Christian happening in the world. And often one of the top search articles that comes up on Google is the Christian Science Monitor. 
which I just click the link and I'm reading the article and then I'm like, where is this? Is this a, a reputable source? And it'll say Christian Science. And so this is a huge arm of their organization is publishing and specifically articles to bring people in. And it's won Pulitzer Prizes. It's been around for 100 years. And the Christian Monitor Weekly. So let's talk about where this group comes from. We always need to go back to the beginning. That's what we do in, in real Christianity. We go back to Jesus Christ who founded the church. Well, who is this woman who founded Christian Science? Now, most of the other groups that we've looked at started out on the frontier. There's a, there's a restorationist movement that starts on the frontier as America is spreading west. That's where these people say, hey, we're going to go back to the original. They say it's the original church. They skip all of church history and jump back, they say. That's Mormonism. That's Jehovah's Witness. And it, and it started in New York, but it's also on the frontier in New York State. Other groups as well. Now, this one, though, starts in the city, in, in New Hampshire, in uh, Connecticut, in New York. And it's already late or mid to 1800s when this gets going. Founded by Mary Baker, who her first husband's name was Glover. So she takes that name. Then it's Patterson. And her last husband was Eddie. So Mary Baker, Eddie. Born in 1821. She's raised in a, in a conservative church, a Calvinistic congregational church. So remember the Congregationalists, that's Jonathan Edwards. That's the, the Puritans who came to America would be considered congregational. And like Presbyterianism, but without the, the General Assembly and all of that, each church had its own congregation that would be voting on things. She became depressed. She was sickly as a child. Many, many people had illnesses that they could not get rid of. There was no cure for a lot of common things that are common today, and we, we take care of pretty quick. They could not often, they didn't understand how the body worked as well. And so she was down. She was depressed. Things were rough in her life as a young person. Her mother died. When she got married young, her first husband died six, seven months into the marriage. She had a baby on the way. She was six months pregnant. Her son comes along. She feels sick and depressed. The baby's always sick. She finally gets a little tired of taking care of the baby, gives him up for adoption. Later, he would not be happy with her about this, and they would, they would be estranged from one another. She marries her second husband, Daniel Patterson, and a few months or maybe a year into the marriage, he's gone. She says he deserted her. She gets a divorce. And in this time, she doesn't get married for some time after this, but she meets a man, Phineas P. Quimby. And he was a mesmerist, an inventor. You know, all of these movies are made about these kinds of guys in the 1800s today. But a mesmerist was somebody who toyed with hypnosis. And a mesmerist would hypnotize you and convince you that the things that you were going through in life were really not real. They, they were just in your mind. And uh, the way they cured you was to hypnotize you and convince you that your problem wasn't really a problem. So she runs into this guy. She hears his teaching. She reads his writings. And he emphasized healing by mental assent. If you just mentally assent to the truth, the truth is that we should deny the reality of both illness and matter. Now later, she's going to write all about this. Matter is not real. Suffering is not real. And it's going to be almost word for word what, what Phineas Quimby taught. He, he was a quack. Phineas Quimby just made stuff up and thought he had discovered something new and made a lot of money. 
She takes it and really makes money with it. Starts a whole organization. And people began to claim that she's copied this guy and copied many other people, which I think I have an article here from the New York Times on that. And she will always say, and today they'll defend her and say, she didn't, she didn't plagiarize. They're just the similarities and what people have noticed. At 45, she has a slip on the ice. She's up in New England and a lot of snow, a lot of ice. She, she falls on her tailbone or her back and her back really starts to hurt. So what do we do when our back hurts? You just make up your own religion, right? And say, and you say, my back doesn't really hurt anymore because it's not real. So here's what happens. Here's how, here's how she describes it. She's laying in bed, can't get up because of her back pain. And she says, you know, I'd like to read the Bible. Somebody gives her a Bible. She's reading about Jesus healing people. And she says, just reading that passage and understanding it means that now she has been healed. And suddenly she says the back pain is gone miraculously because she understood the passage rightly, which is in her interpretation, Jesus came to convince us that suffering and and pain is not real. That was her understanding of the healing in the Gospels. Here's what she said. In reading a gospel account of one of Jesus' healings, she gained an insight. This is a Mary Baker Eddy library. She gained an insight into spirituality and health that transformed her. It uplifted her physically and inspired her. Eddie committed herself to understanding what had, what had restored her to health. So she's reading the Gospels. She reads about Jesus' healing. Suddenly the pain's gone. And she starts to think about it and says, there's something here I need to explore. This has changed me. And so her own library defines or describes this experience. Now, you're going to find with her writings, as many other cults we've looked at, you don't expect a clear, logical argument. There's going to just be stuff that's contradictory and vague. That's the way cults work. They're very vague. They want to sound Christian and biblical, but they're actually not. So she sets up a practice because that's what you did back then. You, you, you discovered a new way to heal people. You set up practice in New England there, and she wants to teach others a bunch of lessons on how to be a healing practitioner. So in 1875, she publishes her book, Science and Health. And this is the book she'll continue to add to and revise. And it's still the book today, equal to the Bible and Christian science. She started an association in 1876. Now it's a officially recognized organization that people can give to. In 1877, she marries one of the students that she's teaching who was somewhat younger than her, Asa Gilbert Eddy. So at 56, she gets married to him. That's where she gets the last name, Eddie. And then she begins to call it a church. Before it was just, here's a Christian way of, of healing. Now she says, let's found a church. She calls it the Church of Christ, but she wants to make clear it's different than the other Church of Christ that's out there. It's the Scientist Church of Christ. And so the state gives her a charter for that in 1879. I think it's either Massachusetts or New Hampshire, depending on where she was living at that time. So there's her and her husband. Really nice hairdo back then. I was thinking about that hairdo, but my wife said, no, I didn't have enough hair for that. That's her husband, Asa. So Bobby, you should, you should go for that there, that style. You got enough hair to do that, Bobby. So she then buys a building and starts college. She, she starts a college, metaphysical college. Now, sometimes metaphysics, that word can be used in philosophy. 
But also, if you recall back to my apologetics, who remembers back in apologetics that I taught in the fall, what metaphysics is often used for today in the, in the place of what other word? Anybody remember metaphysics? If you go to half price books or, or probably Barnes and Noble, and on the shelf it'll say a couple of different titles. It'll say metaphysics section or new age. The new age, new age spirituality, new age cults, things like that. So used to in philosophy, metaphysics was just a study of what, what is real, what is the being, how, how do we exist in this universe. Nowadays, they've caught on to that with the new age cults and they use metaphysics to say everything that's not Christianity or tied to some book. It's just sort of the, the hidden things that are out there in the universe. And that's new age religions, which uh, Christian science is a type of new age religion. So uh, nearly half of her association at this point is a little tired of her for whatever reason. I didn't get into the details in my study, but they, they, they said, you're, you're not doing things right. We're out of here. So they left. And so this is when she decides not long afterwards at her home in, in Lynn, I think it's New Hampshire, she is ordained as the pastor of her church. So she started an organization. She started a college. She started this church organization now. And she's called the pastor. And she's the only pastor they ever had. She's the only one they ever will have. In the book that she wrote, that is their pastor's teaching that they now resort to. If, if you ever go to one of these groups, which I don't recommend it, they just read her writings. And they might read a passage from the King James. And then that, that's it. That's their service. They don't, they don't preach. There's no sermon. There's no pastor. There's, I don't even know if they're singing. Her husband dies in 1882. And then she lives the rest of her life not marrying again. So that's the old picture of the college there. It eventually would close in 1889. She said it was to work on her book more and move back to the country and, and not come to Boston to teach. It's unknown why, why she closed it, I think. But that's what she said. She was going to work on her book some more. So there it is. Science and Health by Mary Baker Glover. She was Glover when she started the book. But she'll keep adding to it, refining it writing more about it. This is their book. So the Mormons have extra books that they treat equal to the Bible. Christian science has this book, Science and Health. So you can see that the focus of this group is not so much on studying the Word of God to figure out, you know, how how can we be saved? It's not to learn how we can be sanctified. All of that terminology is not used in Christian science. Christian science is all about how to be healed, from your illnesses, from your sufferings. And it's going to be very interesting when I show you in a minute the way that, that she goes about this. There's a photo of her on her big house, her balcony there. She would come out and dispense her teaching. And she's got all this finery, this, this mink robe on. I think that's probably mink and some sort of animal pelt there. And just very wealthy at this time because she's making so much money off of these books, off of these teachings off of this church she started, which is not a true church. There's the house. It's, a, I think, a painting of what it looked like back then. A big estate there in Concord, New Hampshire. It was called Pleasant View. That was the name of the property. And she was there from 1892 to 1908. Everybody that was part of Christian science would just flock to this place. And it's reported that up to 10,000 people were at one gathering there. Reporters would come there, and the cameras were getting better at that time. They would come and take pictures of her, which is, is what we saw here. 
I think that's a, a photo. Yeah, it's a photo of her from down below. And uh, the, the press was always trying to find things that they could use against her. And they wrote all kinds of articles challenging her teachings. And they knew it was a cult. And back then the press was different than today, but they were, they were trying to expose her. And so there's the, the crowd. I, I think this is a picture of the one that was supposed to be 10,000 people. They came to learn from her. They came to hear her. And she would be up on this upper balcony there on the backside of the house. And they would all gather in the yard there and hear her dispense her teachings. She's not technically called the prophet like we saw last week with uh, Ellen G. White, who was a prophet of uh, Seventh-day Adventist. But she basically functions as their prophet or prophetess. So in 1892 to 94, she reorganizes now. She's got a better name for the group. She's going to call it the Mother Church, which is the first church of Christ, scientist of Boston, Massachusetts. That's the, the formal name for her group there. And she opens December 30th, 1894. And they claim that 600 new members joined that day. Within the next few months, I think they said about 1,200 people joined officially. So there's all these different types of organizations, but at this point, she's very clearly saying this is a church, really the church that Jesus intended to start. So the Bible, yeah, it's okay, she says, but it has mistakes. It's been corrupted. She has the true knowledge given to her in this experience of healing in her bed that time she hurt her back and also throughout her life. She had these experiences, which she then turns into doctrine. So there's the church when it first opened. You can see all the wagons there in the photo and uh, different people coming. They were flocking, as I said back then, especially in the, in the big cities in the New England area, you would just go to see whatever was going on. You had people leaving the Christian faith. You had people who'd grown up in the Christian church who were wanting to experience something new. And so they would go see this new church that opened in town. And they would flock to see it. And then and the papers would come there and send reporters there. And they would write articles about it. Let's look at what she said. She says in her book, in several ways, this, I'm sorry, this is Mark Twain. We're going to look at what she says in a minute. Mark Twain wrote a book on her because he was so fascinated by her. He wrote a whole book on Christian science. And Mark Twain's not a, a Christian. He's not a, he grew up in a Christian culture, but he doesn't like Christianity either. He's fascinated with her because she's turned this, cult into a money-making machine. So he says, in several ways, she's the most interesting woman that ever lived and the most extraordinary. The same may be said of her career and the same may be said of its chief result. She started from nothing. Her enemies charged that she surreptitiously took from Quimby, that's Phineas Quimby, a peculiar system of healing, which was mind cure with a biblical basis. So everybody's claiming that she stole this material her own people, she and her friends, deny that she took anything from him. Mark Twain says, This is a matter which we can discuss by and by. Whether she took it or invented it, it was materially a sawdust mine when she got it. It was, it was worth nothing. It was like sawdust. And she's turned it into a Klondike, which is a gold rush. She's turned sawdust into gold by stealing from Quimby and then really marketing this stuff, which is typical of false teachers. It's a spiritual dock that had next to no custom. So it's like a dock on the, the, the shore of a city there, and it had no custom. It wasn't making any money, if any at all, under Quimby. But she's launched a worldwide religion, which now 663 churches, when he wrote this in the 1870s, and she charters a new one every four days. 
So he's saying, Mark Twain says, you know, she's, I admire her. She's remarkable because she took sawdust and made it into gold. She stole from somebody else and figured out how to market it as a business. And she became very wealthy as a result. Let's talk about the bad theology because that's what this class is about. The history is important. You need to know where things come from. That's important. But also, what do they believe? Well, they deny that scripture is all you need. They deny that scripture is enough for salvation and, and sanctification. She says that Christian science is unerring and divine. There's no, there's no mistakes in her writings. There's no errors in her writings. But she says the Bible has been corrupted. And it contains, quote, manifest mistakes. So there's lots of mistakes in the Bible. So that's why we need this extra writing that she wrote, Health and Science. The ultimate textual authority, she says, is not the Bible, but Eddie's Science and Health with a key to the scriptures. That's kind of the rest of the title. Science and health with a key to the scriptures. You need it to understand the Bible, she said. Science and health in the Bible, usually they use the King James, are considered the universal pastor for the Church of Christ scientist. So she was the only pastor in the flesh, and now the pastor is her writings. She lives on as their pastor in her writings, and it's accompanied with the Bible, but that's had some corruption. Anybody know Christian scientists? Talk to anybody? No? Man, last week, seven-day Adventists, like half the room raised their hand. And I got so much conversation after. I mean, that's a huge thing in this area. I think Christian science, probably less so. They deny the Trinity. They deny the Trinity. She said, the theory of three persons in one God, she says, that's just a theory, suggests polytheism rather than the one ever-present I am. So she says, that's not the God that she knows. That's a different God. That's three gods. She says, the Trinity's three gods, not, not the, the God of the Bible. She also said, life, truth, and love. That's her Trinity. Life, truth, and love constitute the triune person called God. That is the triply divine principle, love. Divine Trinity, they represent a Trinity in unity, three in one. The same in essence, though multi-form in office. God, the Father, Mother. She calls God the Father, also the Mother. Christ, the spiritual idea of sonship, just an idea. Christ is not a real person, it's an idea. We'll look at another quote in a moment on that. The divine science, so the, her divine science is the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And these three express in divine science the threefold essential nature of the infinite. So she denies the Trinity of the Bible and then comes up with her own Trinity, which happens to fit nicely in what she's already written. Also, the belief about Jesus, that's Christology. And soteriology is how a person is saved, how that happens, why that happens. She says, if there had never existed such a person as the Galilean prophet, that's Jesus, it would make no difference to me. Jesus is the human man, and Christ is the divine idea. Hence, the duality of Jesus the Christ, the invisible Christ, is the ideal truth that comes to heal sickness and sin through Christian science. So if you get into the, the depths of this stuff, what she's saying is there was a person named Jesus who really existed. But if he hadn't existed, it's no big deal. Because separate from this person named Jesus is an idea, a principle called Christ. And that idea called Christ came into the person called Jesus. And then when, when Jesus died, the idea is still out there. But Jesus was just a man. This Christ became perceptible in the visible Jesus. So you could see him. The, the Christ principle activating through Jesus. 
He was a mere man, and he demonstrated a divine idea. So how do we know that? She says, because he was able to heal, that meant he had that divine principle called Christ. And when it comes to salvation, it's real clear. Man's already saved. We're already in, in the mind of God. We're already, she said, in the idea of God. There's a lot of vague language, but there's no need for salvation. Really, you just need to realize that you're already saved, and you need to stop thinking about all the suffering and pain that you're experiencing because it's not real. It's a lot like Hinduism. When we covered Hinduism last year, it's a lot like Hinduism in that this world is not reality. Buddhism is similar to that. Your, your suffering is not real. It's just sort of something you think is real, but it's not. You can't make this stuff up in, in fiction today. Denial of sin and suffering. So this is a big one. This is why they're called Christian science, health and science. One of their beliefs, they, they don't have a doctrinal statement, but they have, I think, six tenets of their belief, six principles. And number three is, now see if this makes sense logically. We acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin and the destruction of sin and the spiritual understanding that casts out evil as unreal. But the belief in sin is punished so long as the belief lasts. Anybody want to translate that? That's English. That's easy, right? So that she says, or the organization, which is based on her writings. They say, look, you can't say we don't acknowledge forgiveness. You can't say we don't acknowledge sin. Here it is in our statement. Well, we acknowledge God's forgiveness of sin. What is that? God's forgiveness of sin is the actual destruction of sin. Okay? And what is sin? It's the spiritual understanding that casts out evil as unreal. So the forgiveness of sins is really just getting rid of your bad beliefs. And your bad beliefs are that... Suffering is real because sin is just suffering and, and sin is just pain. And, and that's just an idea. And the idea is not real. It's just an idea. So punishment only comes as long as you believe that you're actually suffering. Does that make sense? No, <laughs> it's not supposed to. So basically the only sin they would say is that you are accepting this as reality. You're, you're, you're accepting your, your aging body and your aches and pains and your illnesses. That's really the sin, that you believe it. You're being tricked, essentially. She wouldn't say that anybody's tricking you. You're tricking yourself. She says the only reality of sin, sickness, and death is the awful fact that unrealities seem real to humans, erring belief, until God strips off their disguise. So there's not a salvation that needs to happen. There's an awakening that needs to happen. You just need to understand that it's not real. Your pain you're feeling, God is everything and matter has no. So this is her concept of God, reality. God is everything and matter has no reality. Matter is, is what exists. And she says, that's not real. It's an illusion of the mortal mind. Sin, sickness, and death have no reality but are illusions of the mortal mind. All evils, such as plagues, tornadoes, cyclones, fires, earthquakes, and accidents, have no reality. They're not real. But they're illusions of mortal mind. And then she goes on to say about this idea of mind, there can be but one mind, capital M. She's talking about God. Because there is but one God. And if mortals claim no other mind and accepted no other, sin would be unknown. We can have but one mind if that one is infinite. So it's almost as if she's saying, we don't really exist either. We need to just get in with the one mind and realize our mortal minds 
are not real. It's an illusion. Didn't quite say it, but she's basically saying, you're an illusion. And so the whole idea in this cult is to get, get to be of one mind like God is one mind. And he realizes that nothing exists but him. And we need to realize nothing exists but him. And everything else is not real. It's the unreal. So summarizing, what did Jesus come for? He came to tell us sickness and suffering are not real. That was his coming. He came to tell us sin does not exist. Sin is really just part of the unreal. Sickness is the error that truth casts out. Sickness was unreal to Jesus, subduing belief in it. Sin is the opposite of truth. So not only is she saying that sin isn't real and that Jesus came to tell us sickness and suffering is not real, but he himself never suffered because it's not real. What happened on the cross? Anybody want to sign up for this? No? Well, she had pain and health problems her whole life. You can see there an older photo of her aging. Supposedly, she had all her teeth taken out for dental work. Problems with her teeth. She had, she had dentures. She wore glasses. She was a regular user of morphine. Some say she was addicted to morphine her whole life. I didn't go far enough to confirm that. She, she used morphine, as many people did, for pain. But she had a lot of pain. And she died, which is a reality, on December 3rd, 1910. These are real problems that she had. But, you know, those, those things, like today with, with false teachers, they're covered up. Right? Why do faith healers today wear glasses? People who say they can cure anything and they wear glasses. Why not fix their eyes? Why do they break bones? Why do they need to go in for, for surgeries? And uh, there's been a few famous people that are they're Christian scientists. Doris Day, older actress. And then more recently, Val Kilmer is, is probably the most famous now. Also, if you've heard of Christian science, you usually hear about what? They don't take their kids to the emergency room, you know, when they're about to die and their kid, their kid dies. And in the 1960s, a woman didn't seek medical help for her child and it died. And she petitioned, she, I think she served some time in prison, but she petitioned the state to recognize her religious exemption. And they did give religious exemption. But essentially today, I think the 44 states gave religious exemption for Christian scientists. And now all that's kind of gone away. But one of the presidents in the, I think it was 71. So who was that? Who remembers 71? President. Was it Nixon? He said, if you didn't give this exemption to them, you would lose your federal funding. So 44 states signed up right away. In the 80s, that all kind of went away. But even today, you see articles about a Christian scientist not getting medical care. Because they believe it's not, it's not real. Why would you go get medical help if it's not real? You know, you break your arm, that's just not real. The pain you have, it's not real. Now, it's not official that they can't. Sometimes we hear that they can't get medical. It's against their, it's against their belief system. It's not really like that. There's not laws they have to follow and commands. It's more along the lines of, yeah, we can go and get it, but it doesn't really mean anything because it's not real. And speaking of that, Val Kilmer Everybody know who that is? Top, top Gun guy, right? Remember in the recent Top Gun movie? He has this like voice box in the movie. And he's speaking through that. Nobody goes and watches the new, the new Top Gun. Come on. That's a good movie. He's got this voice box. And in the movie, I think he has, has cancer in the movie, throat cancer. And so time has gone by and he, he has to speak through this voice box. Well, that's real. He did get throat cancer. 
And uh, everybody kind of knew that and it was going around. And, but he said, no, I don't have throat cancer. But he would wear these ugly scarves and he already dresses weird anyway. And so he'd cover it up. And so he, he, after he goes in for treatment, I think it was surgery or something, he posts this picture on social media and he's got his hoodie pulled up to his mouth. I just got out of the hospital feeling great. You know, everything's wonderful. And so he, he tweets this smiling photo after he got treatment for that tumor. And his family, his, his children, claim he's killing himself with Christian science. And then I thought it was interesting how he described this to a reporter. So Val Kilmer explains why he got chemo. Why did he go get it if he's a Christian scientist? And so I marked down here at the bottom. You can't see it, but I'll read it. In, in Kilmer's faith, his diagnosis is rather described as the, quote, suggestion of throat cancer. So it's not really throat cancer. It's just something somebody suggested. He says, which is, quote, the idea is rather than say I have it or possess it, there is a claim, there's a suggestion that this is a fact. So he doesn't really have cancer. You are mistaken. He just, somebody suggested he has it. Why'd you go for treatment? Oh, my kids made me do it. You know, my family. It's sad. We're... False beliefs, they not only lead to hell, but they lead to more suffering in this life, don't they? Because people, you know, delay. And, and they're, 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 don't get me wrong, there sometimes are bad diagnosis and bad treatments and things you can argue sometimes and get a second opinion. But these folks are just denying reality, denying that mankind could ever discover something that might help us. Denying that even in an emergency situation, you wouldn't get help because it's not real. It's all make-believe. And this really gets out there into our culture today. You have a lot of people, now it's, it's more along the lines, it comes across in like self-help books, some psychologists. The way you deal with the suffering in life is just to say it doesn't exist. And you, you say these affirmations. Anybody heard of these? Where you get up in front of the mirror and you say, you know, my suffering is nothing. It doesn't matter. Basically, you, you go on to affirm it. It's not real. How's that going to help us? God wants us to know the truth. He wants us to realize that the world is suffering. Why? Because of sin. Sometimes it's our sin that makes us suffer. We, we live a life that's ungodly and we have consequences that affect us. Sometimes other people sin against us and we have to suffer. And sometimes, like with Jesus on the cross, that's just suffering that's in the world because it's broken. He didn't sin. People were sinning against him, but also pain, death, sickness. That's just because the world isn't the way it was at creation. Sin came into the world. It affected the world. And we just heard recently in Romans 8, creation groans. Creation itself, if we want to personify it like Paul, understands that creation isn't the way God originally designed it. It's broken. So these cyclones and tornadoes that she's talking about that don't really exist, the Bible says they do exist. In fact, God spoke out of them. And, and when it comes to Job, you see all this catastrophe in his life and he's suffering. What does God say? Does God show up at the end of Job and say, you know what, Job, none of that was real. All those 10 kids you lost, that wasn't real. What does God say? God doesn't give Job the answer Job wants. But he doesn't say it's unreal. God says, I know what I'm doing. That's basically God's answer. I'm sovereign. I know what I'm doing. These things happen because I'm sovereign. 
and bring these things to pass for a reason. That's Romans 8, 28. But cults like this deny reality. They deny Jesus. And they deny the Savior. They deny salvation. They deny even the true God of the Bible. And so why, why do we go through this? Well, first of all, it's so you realize that this is wrong. Because sometimes in today's world, oh, we love everybody the same. They're all Christians. If they say they're a Christian, they must be a Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're a Christian if you have faith alone in Christ alone. Which then brings up the question, who is Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. He's the savior that took on flesh and died on the cross to save us from our sins that we committed against God. That we deserved eternal punishment. And that Christ came and died for those who would believe in him. You have to have faith to be saved from that. But th- these folks deny all of that. None of that is reality. I think I had one more article here. I got to preaching. Here, here's a longer article. I'm not sure what magazine this came out of. But the Dying Christian Science. The Horror of My Father's Last Days. So this woman is really upset. Her father was a Christian scientist. And he suffered way more than he should have in his dying days because he was a Christian scientist. Now, the title tells us something to be hopeful for, though. It's, it's dec- declining, decreasing. The Christian science is not a growing organization. It's been declining for a long time, and it continues today. People just aren't wanting to put up with it. And it doesn't have the attraction that maybe Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness does. They're going to come to your door. They're going to they're gonna come and... And try to get you in that way. These guys, they're just kind of sitting around waiting for you to come in their door. And so it's, it's declining, thankfully, today. With all of these, let's look at Romans 16. And we'll, we'll spend the next few minutes and conclude on this. This will help us, I think, with, with all false religion. And sometimes even with people who say they're Christian. But they're not teaching the truth. They're not acting and living according to the truth. Romans 16, 17, and 18. Since it'll be a while before I get there in our sermon series, I want to just kind of spend a few minutes here this morning on it. So this is, in conclusion, Paul's getting ready to end Romans. He's already given some greetings. You can see the long list in verses 1 through 15. Greet these folks, greet these folks. And then he has one more command he gives them here in Romans. I urge you, brothers, he's he's appealing to them to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and stumblings, contrary to the teaching which you learn, and turn away from them. So keep your eye. Be watchful. You better be watchful. Don't put your, your, your fingers in your ears and, what was it, Jacob? La, la, la. And just ignore life and ignore false teaching and ignore people who come and talk to you about wrong things. Don't listen to them. Keep your eye on them. In other words, be watchful. Don't be asleep. Be watchful. Be looking around, even in your own church. Not not to be a legalist. You're not going to go pick up everybody's hat and look under it for sin. That's not what he's talking about here. He's just saying as you go through life in the church, you're you're being watchful. You're keeping your eye out. Just like you do in your house, men. you, You protect your family. Right? You, you don't every night probably make a perimeter around your house. Most of you don't. And, uh, you know, let me take the shotgun and I'm going to go check the perimeter every night. Right? That'd be a little overkill for most of us. 
Unless you got coyotes maybe that are attacking your chickens. But you do make sure the door's locked, hopefully, and your family's all there and they're, they're inside and they're safe. You, you keep an eye out for your family. And he says, who, who to keep an eye on? Those who cause dissensions and stumblings, contrary to the teaching which you learn. What's a dissension? It's a faction. It's a division. It's somebody who's trying to carve out their own little kingdom. It's somebody who says, I'm going to take these guys and we're going to go over here and make our own belief system. Or maybe the belief system is more about how you live the Christian life. You know, we're going to take these 20 people in the church and we're going to do a little study. Just want to do a little Bible study, guys. That's all it is. Just a little Bible study on how we can be healed by understanding suffering is not real. And then all the people with pains and aches and pains, you know, they, they might want to learn what Jesus did with his healing. So they come to the Bible study and six months later, they've ended up drifting so far away that they have to be brought back. So be careful. Dissensions, factions. And it doesn't start out. Remember, false teachers don't show up with a sign on their, their chest, you know, hanging a sign around their neck. Paul warns the, the pastors in Acts 20. He says, look, be on guard because there's going to be wolves that come in among you. They're going to arise among you too. Second Peter talks about that. False teachers, false prophets arise, uh, will arise among you. They, they arose amongst the people in Israel. They're going to happen the same way in the church. How do you know? Well, they don't come tell you, look, I'm a false teacher. Don't listen to me. How do you know? Well, he says they cause dissensions and stumblings. Stumblings that you trip over the things that they teach. Why? Not because you recognize them, but because in the Christian life, what they teach causes you to stumble, causes you to sin, causes you to go further into sinful belief or sinful actions. This is contrary. It's opposite to teaching which you learned from the apostles, things taught in the Bible. These are opposite. These are contrary. They go against Scripture. You have to know Scripture well to, to find these things. Sometimes they're very subtle, very subtle. You know, I was talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses, and it started with a guy who wanted to have a Bible study in his home. They just come have a Bible study in my home. And then one day they said, hey, you're our pastor. And he said, okay, I got some new teaching for you. And he started Jehovah's Witnesses. Starts with a Bible study in the home. Not that Bible studies are bad, but be careful who's teaching. Be careful who's leading. Just because they want to do it doesn't mean they should do it. And he says, turn away from that. He says, keep your eye on them. And when you see that, you turn away. You don't follow. You don't say, oh, I'd like to know more about that. You know, tell me more. Let me really get into that. Turn away from it. Call it out for what it is. And now he talks more about these folks in in verse 18. For such men, and we've also seen in this class women as well. He's talking about mankind in general, people who do this. Back then it was mostly men. Today there's women as well. Men are slaves. Now, it's good to be a slave of our Lord, but these people, Paul says, are not slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own stomach. What does that mean? What does that mean when they're slaves of their own stomach? Their own pleasures, right? What else? It's Bible study time. Y'all got to speak up here. Cravings? What? Satisfaction? Idol? I mean, at its basic, it's, it's just eating more, being filled. But yeah, you're right. It extends to all of those things. People who care about their own stomach in those days were people who wanted to get money. They wanted to get money so they could live, what we would say, high on the hog. 
They could live a wealthy life. They could make money. I mean, Mary Baker, Mary Baker Eddy, she had that big house. She had many homes. She had two homes, big, wealthy estates where people would come and learn from her. You know, a single woman in the 1800s, unless they inherited money, didn't just have a lot of money flowing in. But she did. She didn't need a husband because she had plenty of money flowing in. She had two estates, all these servants. 10,000 people would come and follow her. Stomach, money, wealth. And he says, they're not slaves of Jesus, but their own stomach. And by their smooth and flattering speech. There it is. That's how they do it. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Smooth, flattering. Well, they're, they're a very effective speaker. You know, I've heard sometimes even well-meaning Christians will, will talk about somebody who has just bad theology that's a famous preacher. You know, just really bad theology. Well, they're a very effective preacher. They're a very good speaker. They're an effective communicator. That was kind of common for a little while. You know, Andy Stanley, he's an effective communicator. But yeah, he denies the Bible now. He says, we don't need it. First, he said that we didn't need the Old Testament. A few years went by. He said, we don't need the New Testament either. Now, he just says, you know, we don't even need the Bible. We can just look at a historian who says Jesus existed and was raised again. We don't need the Bible. Smooth, flattering. These are people like Rob Bell, who said hell wasn't real. And he wrote a book about it. And he made millions from that book because both people went out to see if he really said that and bought it. And others followed him and bought it. And he said hell was not real. That it didn't exist. And then his own church, which was very liberal, said, we're tired of that. You're out of here. They fired him. And you know what he did? Where did he end up? On the West Coast, on Oprah. And Oprah said, we can create something out of this. And Rob Bell got on Oprah and kind of made his own religion. And now he says, you know, I'm on a surfboard. I'm out in the ocean on Sunday morning. And that's my religion. This is a former pastor from Michigan, I think it was, or Minnesota. Flattering speech. They sound good. They sound smooth. But what, what really is it? It's deception. As, as Christians, you've got to be fruit inspectors. Not legalists, not Pharisee. Fruit inspectors, Jesus said. You know them by their fruit. What kind of fruit am I looking at here? Is this good fruit because it matches the Bible? Or is this bad fruit because it doesn't match the Bible? You can't just say, well, no one's perfect. That's not about perfection. It's about this person is trying to teach the word of God and they're twisting it. That's bad fruit. Well, you know, pastor, nobody's perfect. And I'm just listening to my buddy because he wants somebody to listen to. Fine. Tell him he's a false teacher and be quiet. I mean, that's, that's the way they used to say it. Stop talking. Even the New York Times, which I didn't have, I don't think there was any articles. I thought I had some photos of it, but I must have taken it out. The New York Times would publish all this stuff about Mary Baker Eddy and where she had plagiarized and where she had led people to go into error. And it's not like the New York Times even in that day was a Christian organization. But they could even recognize this woman was off the reservation. She was not there mentally speaking. Paul says they're going to flatter you. They're going to be very smooth. These are going to be your good friends. These are going to be people who are very friendly and they can talk, but they are deceiving. And who do they go after? The unsuspecting. Unsuspecting Christians. Do you know where all these cults go to get their followers? Do you think they go to Hinduism? Do you think they go to Buddhism? That was around back then. Do you think they go to the other cults that already existed at that time? Where do they go? 
They try to pull people out of the Christian faith. They try to pull people out of churches. Why? Because they know those people are not well taught. They know that those people are unsuspecting. The Jehovah's Witness doesn't go to the Mormon, and the Mormon doesn't go to the Jehovah's Witness. Why? I think one of the reasons is they're so well-trained in what they are supposed to believe. I mean, they've been through two years of schooling. If you're a Mormon, you've been a missionary. You've gone through all this time of training. Jehovah's Witnesses are trained on how to answer the objections they will experience at your door. Most Christians, they just go to church. They don't know. They don't know. Sounds good to me. Talking about God. Well, we all love God. They go after, Paul says, the unsuspecting. The people who haven't learned what the Bible says. Those who don't know the truth. Those who can't think rightly. Not because they don't have a brain or they don't have an education in the the way of the world. They haven't been trained and taught the Bible. And they themselves haven't read it. And so they're prey for these false teachers. The unsuspecting Christians. The one who thinks, you know... Christianity is about being nice. It's just about being nice. I'll listen to the Jehovah's Witness. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the No, no. That's unsuspecting. You love everybody that God has created. You love every person, but you don't love them like they're your brother in Christ. Your brothers in Christ are made by the Holy Spirit. They're made by God. They're made by Christ. They're born again. That's your brother and sister in Christ. And you don't do like a lot of big evangelicals are today and say, you know, the Mormons are our brother. Or the guy who made the, the chosen thing, he says, he says uh, Mormons are our brothers. He goes, I know they, they have some differences, but they're our brothers. Are they our brothers? But Jesus called them his, his brothers? No, because they deny. Mormons, well, Frank's covering Mormons, right? About six weeks. Mormons deny the deity of Christ. They think he's a man. They tell you, you can become a God. So why do we cover these cults? One reason is to help you prepare and not be unsuspecting. But the best way to not be this person who isn't knowledgeable and is easy prey is to know your Bible. And that can't all be done in a class. That's got to be done through your Christian life as you are part of a church, as you study the Bible on your own, but but also come and, and hear preaching and teaching to make sure you're even right when you're reading it, to learn Good hermeneutics like Frank taught, Pastor Frank taught in the last class. Learn to interpret scripture so that you're not going to fall prey. And you might say, well, I'm going to spot the Christian scientist. I will spot the Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, but there's always a new thing starting at any moment. I mean, I sometimes wonder how many new Christian ideas and cults are starting right now, this week. Because somebody woke up one morning and had an idea about a new group they wanted to start. And no one would know that that's false until 30 years later when it's all been published and shown. So be ready, be aware, watch the smooth speech, and don't be that unsuspecting person. All right, got a little preaching in the last 15 minutes, but that's warming you up for the service in a minute. So let's conclude. Next week, let's see, where are we going to go? We've got a few more subjects that I'm covering. Do you want to hear about Hebrew roots? Anybody? Hebrew roots is big. Yeah, anybody know somebody with Hebrew roots? Okay, Unitarian Universalists, anybody? Got a couple? Oh, man, that's almost a bigger one. Let's see, what else? What else am I supposed to cover, Frank? You got to remind me. Unitarian Unitarian Universalists. Frank's on vacation. I shouldn't be asking him questions like that. We'll do Hebrew roots or Universalism in the next few weeks because both of those are growing in our area, especially Hebrew roots. 
All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time this morning to consider just Romans 16 and, and look at how it applies to these false belief systems. Help us to love our neighbors, but to love them enough to tell them the truth. Sometimes we need to tell them the truth. How can a person be saved if they don't hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news? So let us be bold. Let us be loving. Let us be caring. We pray this in the name of our Lord. Amen.